It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103 and certainly that weather forecast is a little bit better than it was yesterday but we still have an amount of flooding and excess water particularly in parts of North Cork Mallow. Uh, there are still areas flooded and it's the same in Formoy and actually it's Formoy where we're going to start the programme with this morning because we've been getting some texts and tweets in from motorists in the Formoy uh, area because the Kent bridge is closed in Formoy and because of that traffic is being diverted onto the motorway and that's causing problems for some people we were told earlier there was queues, I don't know if there's still queues or not but people are annoyed because they've been diverted onto the motorway and they have to pay uh, tolls. Local councillor Noel McCarthy uh, joins me. Good morning to you Noel. Good morning Patricia, good morning And is that the biggest bone of contention that people have to pay tolls or is it the fact that they're queuing to get onto the motorway? Well I suppose it's both Patricia, Uh, I'm the first one being that they have to pay the toll. Obviously, a lot of people think there's arrangements in place with direct route that the barriers would be lifted if a flood event happens in Formoy. The last one being 2016. But that arrangement is not there. It's direct route. It's a private business. It's up to them to lift the barriers if they want to. We did have discussions with them going back after the 2016 flood. They want to be compensated because they run a business. The council runs the position to compensate them. So this problem only arises when a flood event like this happens and, and people feel that they're cut off from the town that they can't use Kent Bridge. Now, we have two bridges going over the town, but one is tall. And that's a disadvantage to a lot of people that they, that they feel that when there is a flood event, the other bridge will be opened up and the sand stations at Carnan, where you can come on and off to get one side of the town to the other, should be free of charge. This is the, We had this discussions with the Red Road they did outline in, in, in very uncertain, no uncertain terms that they are a business and they need to be compensated. If, no, I want to thank them this morning because they did lift the barrier on the range with the guardie to, to alleviate the queue. When there was a queue early this morning, I got numerous calls from people saying that they were held up in traffic for a long period of time. To get to one side of the town to the other was taking 40 minutes at least. Now, the other thing in that, Patricia, is if they didn't even want, need to pay the toll, if you came to certain parts of the town and you were just going through the Cork to go to work, well, then you were getting stuck in traffic, even though you might be using direct comic and not having to use the motorway, you still had to be stuck in a line of traffic going through the town from one side to the other. So it was really an inconvenience. And you can imagine, I had people very upset this morning ringing me, saying that they were going to work, they needed to be in work. Some of them were... Uh, 
uh, essential workers that couldn't get to work in time and they were stuck in traffic. Yeah, we heard because, a lot of people yeah. late came to work. But but let me bring let me at this stage bring in uh, Declan Cahill, who is the CEO of uh, Direct uh, Route. Good morning to you, Declan. Good morning. Um, I, I, and I take it you, you're backing up everything that Noel says. You're a private business. You, you're in you're in the told business to make money. Uh, uh, can you not afford just to leave the barrier up even on a morning like this morning? Well, it, it's not a really as simple as that as Noel fully understands. In 2016, we lifted the barrier for everybody. We, everybody. Uh, we, for this particular event, we haven't even been uh, contacted officially by any council members. None. Even for this event. And I'm not sure they have been aware of it for the last few days. But they haven't even contacted us. We're hearing this from the Gardaí this morning. It's just, it's not been managed. We met, we asked them to engage with us, we'll have an arrangement uh, we're not here to hold up the town, we don't want to, to cause anybody any bad effects, but effectively the queues are caused because the Kent Bridge is closed, not because of anything to do with the ramp losses and in any way I've just checked on our cameras there are no queues currently in place uh, around and up to the ramp there are no queues, I mean we work very well with the Gardaí the Gardaí are, are directing traffic at the time we will lift barriers to alleviate uh, traffic if there's any safety concerns. But other than that, we will have to continue to manage the plaza. It's not about profitability, it's about cost. We have but, uh, but you're saying, Declan, in the last in the last 48 hours, we like we knew because we certainly were talking on, on this radio programme and every other radio programme locally and nationally were talking about the way the weather. We knew that the Smith Aaron in fairness gave very accurate predictions as to what was going to happen uh, yesterday. You're saying that nobody from the council contacted you in advance of yesterday? Yeah, nobody. No, no that's a bit bizarre, isn't it? it, 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 it just let Noel come back in, Declan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Noel, do, do you not think somebody from the council should have been speaking with Direct yes, Route? We, we, I think that goes back to what we need to look forward to, to know, uh, Patricia, is that we need to put a traffic management in place. We did have discussions in 2016. Declan is right. There was no follow-up. I put my hands up as a local representative. It's only when a flood event would happen that these things raise again. But we must get it right going forward because... We did have discussions. We did try to, to, to explain to Direct Route the importance of Formoy being, when Kent Bridge is closed, the importance of people getting one side of the town to the other without being affected. And their barriers should be left to accommodate that. We're the only town on the motorway that hasn't got a relief road or a ring road that can be used without paying a toll charge. Now, Declan is aware of that as well. I still want to just to say one thing about the council. We, we need to put a traffic management in place so that's when this event would occur again that we contact, we all sit down under the chairmanship of someone and say, listen, these are the problems we could face. How do we help everyone to get over Yeah, and a traffic here? management yes. will have to include direct route. Without a doubt. And they are very, they're the most vital part of it with the Gardaí, with the council executive and with the elected representatives. Because calls, calls this morning, they're coming in from people that are very, very upset. And like, for my, is a disadvantage, as I said, because when you use the second bridge to be used, we're paying a toll. And all we're asking, direct route, and I understand the business now, and every time I rang Declan, it couldn't be more courteous and always takes the call. And But at 
at this stage we need to come up with something for the future and if this compensation has to be paid well then we must sort that out and, and money shouldn't be the problem here Let's stop, uh, having uh, problems like this can I come De- Declan you can yeah, yeah. yeah it's not compensation it's cost we, we're not here we understand we are, we are part of the community and we want to be we, we simply requested in 2016 that we cover some sort of cost so we have a sharing mechanism not to make profitability we understand these events occur. There are few and far between. We, we don't want to address the effect to anybody, particularly within the town. And we're here to work with, with the council. And we've said this all along since 2016. We can't know what we don't know. If we're not told by the council what the plans are for today, when they're lifting and when they're putting it in, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're coming back to try and sort the problem out that shouldn't have been there in the first place if proper engagement has happened. But we're not here just to make profits. But that's 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 this is bit disingenuous. We understand that that we have offered an alternative route in and out of the mine and we grow a lot of business as a result of it. But, okay. You know, okay. It's 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 negotiate negotiation. It's dialogue. Is what is what is needed ahead of an event like like yeah, what happened yesterday. Okay. All right, uh, Noel. If you can get that message back to the executive, please talk to a direct link. Uh, Declan, thank you for that. And uh, good to know that there's no queuing at the moment. And Noel, while we have you on the line, somebody wants to know: Can you walk over the bridge? No, no, it's closed. Is closed. Okay. They're hoping to open the bridge in the next uh, two to three hours, Patricia. Okay, as the flood waters get, go, it goes down. And is the bridge in Ballyhooley open? Somebody else wants to know. That's open. At That's the moment. open. Yeah, that open. And how bad Patricia, did it? How bad did it get yesterday? It was bad. It was very, very high. It, it, it was really up to the highest, nearly to the eye of the bridge. Whoa. It was really high. There was also some problems, Patricia, with though, even though we have a little bit of flooding in the area, I think a couple of businesses got a bit of flooding. One pump didn't work, so obviously we must look into that as well. That's a separate thing to the bridge being closed. But these are the problems that are raised now from have arisen from the latest flood. So we must look into everything. And I can assure listeners that I will bring it to the next meeting, that we will try to sit down with the recruit, we will sit down with the recruit, and we will come up with a plan. Patricia, can I I just say one thing, and I just want to make this point across, I want to to thank the workers that got the barriers up over the last 48 hours. A very difficult job in terrible conditions. Both the council and the contractor did an excellent job. Well done. Well done. We're very lucky for my to be flood protected. And and we'll extend that to all of the council workers and I know the ESB networks were out yesterday as well. Atrocious conditions. You wouldn't put a dog out in it yesterday and those workers had to go out in it. So well done. Listen, thank you for that, Noel. And uh, thanks for joining us. That's uh, from Moy based councillor Noel McCarthy and Ken in from Moy. Says from Moy is the only town on the motorway between Dublin and Cork that doesn't have a ring road for its uh, residents and I think that's exactly the point that uh, Councillor Noel McCarthy made as well. Thank you for that. 1850 Now we are going to be talking about the government's uh, publishing its long awaited update of a living with Covid plan. They've changed the name. We're no longer living with Covid. It's resilience and recovery is what it is known as. We're going to be talking in a couple of minutes with uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor as to what was announced uh, yesterday Today, I think the majority of what was contained in what Michael Martin announced, we knew in advance, but it was good to hear exactly where we were going. And uh, of course, the big one, obviously, is the, the reopening of the schools. But for me, the one real sense of hope that I took out of yesterday was to hear Michael Martin say that the government hope that by June of this year, 
which isn't that many months away, that over 80% of the adult population will have received at least one dose of a vaccine with uh, and 55 to 60% will be fully vaccinated by June. They're saying by the end of March, 1.25 million doses will have been uh, administered and then they're hoping for the real big rollout, a million doses for April, May and June. By the end of April, it's planned that 47% of people over 18 will have had their first dose and then by the end of May, they'll be up to 64% and as I say, by June, around 82% uh, they reckon. So let us please keep our fingers crossed that the vaccine arrive on our shores so that we will be able to maintain those uh, figures. And the other one that I watched now it wasn't announced by Hall Martin so I had to do a bit of snooping around to find uh, this and this is to do with the changing in the sequencing for the vaccine and in particular for people with serious health conditions. We featured a number of, the, a number of them here on the programme who just wanted to find out when were they going to be uh, vaccinated and there has now been a change in the allocation strategy by the government. Those aged between 16 and 16 with a medical condition that puts them at serious risk of severe disease and death will now be inoculated in the fourth cohort of the strategy. The fourth cohort is going to be right after all of those aged 70, 70 which is the current vaccination programme that's going on and at the moment. It was originally planned to vaccinate people with underlying conditions in the seventh cohort but many in that group now have been moved up along uh, the list because of course as Stephen Donnelly said they would suffer the worst outcomes if they were to get COVID. Among those who are to be inoculated in the fourth group will be cancer patients on chemotherapy and radiography, those who are on dialysis, how many we spoke with a number of dialysis patients, also those with uncontrolled diabetes, adults who have Down syndrome, patients with motor neuron disease, uh, people who have severe cystic fibrosis and then cohort five will consist of the 65 to 69 year olds with an underlying health uh, condition and there will be other cancer patients in there and then there's going to be a fifth and a sixth and it all gets a little bit complicated. I won't go too much into it because it just gets, I got a bit bogged down when I was looking at it so then I found online a list of the different cohorts like the new cohort four they're going to be the next group after the over 70s the groups uh, that I mentioned Uh, but it does include people with uncontrolled uh, diabetes but it also includes people who are obese. Anyone with the BMI above 40 will be included in cohort number four. So they will be vaccinated ahead of some healthcare workers, but they will be they will be the next group to get it when all the over 70s and they expect all the over 70s to be done by the end of March, isn't it, for the first uh, vaccine? So the rollout should start fairly quickly for this, for the people with all cancer patients, people with chronic kidney disease, diabetes and the people who are immune uh, compromised. So that's going to be cohort number four. Then cohort number five will be the 65 to 69 year olds with who have are at a high risk of COVID-19. And then there's a revised cohort seven, which is going to be uh, 16 to 64 year olds. They will be the other cancer patients, the ones not actively receiving treatment, people with chronic heart disease, chronic kidney diseases in there, liver diseases in there, neurological diseases like Parkinson's disease, cerebral palsy, chronic respiratory diseases in there. 
all forms of diabetes have been moved into cohort number seven. Again, more people who are immune compromised, those with inherited metabolic diseases, also included in cohort seven is going to be people with intellectual uh, disability, excluding Down syndrome because Down syndrome have moved to the fourth uh, group. And again, people who are suffering from obesity will be in this group. This time it will be people with a BMI of 35 and uh, over and also included in the revised uh, cohort seven will be people suffering from severe mental illness, which includes schizophrenia, bipolar and uh, severe depression. So there's a whole new list that are being uh, included for those to be inoculated. And certainly that's going to be very welcome news for a large, large group of people. A listener was no name on this uh, text listening to my piece with a direct route. Uh, Declan Cahill, the CEO and councillor Noel McCarthy and hearing from uh, Declan that nobody from the council contacted Director Root about the toll and about the possibility that the bridge might be closed in from Moy and that they may have to be directing traffic towards the, t- the motorway. Somebody says, this is a joke. You're telling me that nobody contacted the toll uh, the people behind the toll when they knew that Fomoy would be flooded they really need to be more proactive this is actually embarrassing says a uh, a listener and then on the lockdowns Anne says morning Patricia I know everyone is fed up of lockdown but the only way out is reducing the number of cases so everybody has to keep going why are we in lockdown this Christmas because we the people didn't behave before our over Christmas we completely lost the run of ourselves the government can't open before Easter because it would be like Christmas all over again and all that would be happening would be in April we'd be finding ourselves in another lockdown if people lost the run of themselves again. So Anne saying we're all in this together we all need to pull together. But then Liam in Cove says there are a lot of people out there like Liam who don't have any work to go to at the moment and yet the bills are still coming in and the bills still need to be paid. He listened very keenly to the Taoiseach last night and the Taoiseach filled Liam with no confidence at all on what is to come. Michal Martin says we're all in this together. Well the politicians are gave themselves a pay rise. How are we all in this together? Liam works in construction and he said even if they would give us two days a week it would make a huge difference. And he cites an example of working on a shell of a house. He said, I can't see how you would spread COVID from one person to the other. Many people as builders are out working. They'll be in a shell of a house. There'll be one person working in the house on their own or they might be in one room of the house on their own and they're not coming in contact with anyone else. He can't see why. And there wasn't much hope, certainly for construction. A number of weeks ago, there was hopes that when this announcement would be made that some form of construction would go back. But certainly there was nothing, uh, no sense of hope for Liam and others like Liam in the construction industry. And then Liam also said that his mother, who's over the age of 90, still hasn't got her vaccine uh, yet. So he said he doesn't know what they're talking about when he says everyone is to get their vaccine. Well, we're, we're into the second week uh, of the three weeks. They reckon three weeks to get everyone their first vaccine. So you'll still, your mother sh- should still get a call from her GP, hopefully sooner rather than later. Then actually talking of uh, vaccines, Tullig Medical Centre in Mill Street, they're holding a vaccination clinic tomorrow, Thursday. And it's for COVID vaccines only. So no other patients should attend Tullig Medical Centre in Mill Street tomorrow. And vaccinations obviously are strictly by appointment only. So that's people in the Mill Street area 
area who attend Tullick Medical Centre over the age of 85 they will be getting their vaccines uh, tomorrow and Liam hopefully you will get a call soon about your mother getting uh, vaccinated 1850 333 103 lines open Cork today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurances Can Sale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Now as we know the Cabinet yesterday signed off on the latest extension to Ireland's Level 5 lockdown with a new Living with Covid strategy. To discuss the key points I'm joined by our political editor Sean Defoe. Good morning to you Sean. Morning. And you are very welcome. We're now calling it I believe resilience and recovery rather than living with Covid is it? Yeah, I think they finally accepted living with COVID is probably not the best idea. Since you don't really live with COVID, you know, you tend to just kind of exist alongside it. I, I wouldn't really call what we've been doing lately living. But anyway, that's a, that's a led to it. So resilience and recovery on, onwards and upwards. OK, and nearly everything that was announced yesterday by the Taoiseach, am I right in saying it had already been revealed? We, we, we basically could have written the speech for him. We basically did for the last two days in the news bulletins uh, for <laughs> what he had to say. The only thing that was new was actually one big bit of positivity, and that was figures in relation to vaccination, where he said that by the end of June, up to 82% of adults could have gotten at least their first dose of the vaccine, which is probably ahead of where a lot of people expected, certainly on the delivery front, it's ahead of what we expected. And it's a big ray of, ray of hope out of this, if you're going to take a ray of hope, that if we are going to get three uh, million people a month vaccinated in April, May and June. Well, then suddenly the end of the summer and the end of this year looks a lot different than I think we might have feared it would. Okay, we're having a problem with Sean's phone. Are you still with us, Sean? Oh, can you hear me there? Yeah, you're perfect. Though. Yeah, you're perfect there. So, so that was the real ray of hope. And of course, that is all dependent on the vaccines arriving into this country, isn't it? It is exactly, yeah. That's, that's the one big caveat. Now, there was a bit of a question mark because during the speech last night, uh, news came out uh, to Reuters that AstraZeneca are going to miss a significant portion, about, only going to make about 40% of their planned delivery for quarter two to the European Union. But I spoke to some senior sources in the vaccine rollout team last night and they said they were already aware of that before the reports came out. So they have baked it into the figures. So even factoring in the under-delivery from AstraZeneca, they believe that we'll have enough to get that 82% target by the end of June. And they're heavily dependent on Johnson & Johnson, aren't they, as well? And they getting the nod and the go-ahead and their vaccines arriving. That is, and the, the, the big advantage, obviously, with Johnson & Johnson is it's a one-dose vaccine. So it, you, you get it out, you get it out a lot quicker once you actually uh, have it. That is submitted to the EMA for approval, all the indications, hopefully, uh, that it will be improved in, uh, approved in time for April and we get doses of that in as well on top of the, the planned delivery of course of the Pfizer and Moderna ones and some of CureVax as well. And on the other good news yesterday but again we did know about this um, the reopening of schools but not for all pupils. Not for all straight away no it's, it's going to be on a phased basis and really the reason for that is the new variant because obviously we've had schools open with the, the old COVID if you like and we know that, that they were able to do that and able to do it on a relatively safe basis but the the new variant just entirely can change the game. We're literally dealing with a different virus, really, and one that potentially has more transmissibility among children. So they're going to take it very carefully. They've prioritised leaving certs along with the four youngest classes in primary schools, the junior infants up to second class. They're all going to return just next week, actually, uh, on the 1st of March. If all that goes well, then two weeks later, on March the 15th, you're going to see the return of all primary school students as well as fifth years uh, back. But then it will be a bit of a wait for the rest of secondary school students, which is the first to fourth years, 
to actually get back in the classroom, not until after Easter on the 12th of April. They've left a particularly big gap there for that last cohort to get back in. And I know the big one from our listeners yesterday in advance of Micheál Martin was people were hoping that there would be some easing of the five kilometre travel rule, but no easing of that or indeed any of the other restrictions. No, no dice on that, unfortunately. And I think that was one of the big things for a lot of people. Look, when I'm picking up talking to people, I'm sure you're picking it up on the text lines this morning, is there was just that little bit of a lack of, of hope of something to cling on to from the announcement last night. We knew the majority of it, but I think even I, I had been speaking to ministers on Monday night who had said, oh no, there's not going to be any more in it, but you still kind of hope they had been tucked away in the back pocket. <laughs> it would just give people a little bit of a, a little bit of something to cling on to, you know, until April, because the reality is if you don't have a, a child in returning to school or to crash, nothing is going to change for you between now and April 5th, unfortunately. Uh, now, they, what they did say is that on April 5th, there is going to be a review, uh, or before April 5th, there will be a review. And some of the things that they're looking at in that is the evening of the five-kilometre travel rule is the likes of meeting up with uh, another family or another two families outdoors for a walk in the park or something like that, and also uh, areas like construction. So they might return before... Uh, they might return at some point during April, which last week seemed not to be the case. It seemed as if Level 5 would be with us until May. So there's a little bit of hope there, but it's still it's another month off, unfortunately. Barbara says by text, could you ask Sean, is there any chance of a haircut in the coming weeks? <laughs> <laughs> for me personally? or you know? <laughs> No, I think it's for her good self. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, well, uh, no, no, there's not. They're, they're not coming back, unfortunately. They're probably not even going to come back in April. So I would say if you haven't, managed to get hold of a care, care clippers yes maybe do it I'll, I'll be honest I sheared my own hair uh, for the first time last week it, it went relatively well I think but I still haven't been able to see the back of it so who knows what I'm walking around with but no unfortunately hairdressers beauty services all that sort of stuff not returning for a while yet Jason wants to know about a round of golf no golf also not and this is one of the ones golf tennis just a bit of you know those outdoor activities that are a little bit more safe but not back in March again to be reviewed in that April review so perhaps as early as April 5th but not before then And the other bone of contention that came up for us on the programme is trying to work out when is mid what does midsummer mean for the hospitality sector is that the middle of June or the middle of July? I, w- I would wish I knew that myself but I would tend towards the middle of July although there hasn't been a confirmed date and we asked last night about dates about you know could you give us something like this Boris Johnson plan even though the Boris Johnson plan seems probably quite ambitious and might actually uh, fall flat on its face. And what the teacher said was that it was data, not dates that they would be led by. They weren't going to tie anything down to dates and dates. They just couldn't promise at the moment because of um, of the, the changing nature of the virus because of the potential for new variants. My guess would be uh, towards the middle of July rather than June, giving the figures that the teacher has put out. If we did get that figure of 82% vaccinated by the end of June, you would think, um, or at least first dose vaccinated, then you would think that probably takes in most of the vulnerable people and indeed most of the adults in the country. And at that point, you would be in a position to open somewhat safely. Um, but the the tentative schedule that I'm kind of hearing around is some easing in April that I've already outlined. Then May, you might look at something like retail. Uh, and in June, look a little bit beyond that. But I still think June might be a little bit early for hospitality. Uh, ask Sean, does he think weddings will go ahead at the end of May? At the end of May, I, well, I think it was obviously weddings are going ahead now with the, the very limited numbers. I, I honestly don't know. I'd be loath to make a call on it. And a lot of people um, are asking and wondering, you know, what kind of numbers uh, can I have? But I would expect by the end of May, it will still be very severely restricted. You're kind of talking 
Max back into the 25 picture and, and that's if we're lucky. Okay, and we would have a lot of small rural uh, schools here in uh, Cork and this is an issue I can see a couple of texts in on this about the fact that you said the first four years are going back from junior infants to second class. There will be a number of small schools will have second class and third class split. Does it only mean that the second class will go in and the third class will continue with remote learning? That will probably be an individual school's decision, will it, Sean? Yeah, well, I actually asked the Taoiseach about this last night, just right at the end of the press conference, because there's so many schools that like that across the country. I know a few teachers myself who have, have that kind of a split. And he said that, look, a bit of common sense will have to be shown by the Department of Education, and they'll be the ones giving guidance on it, but didn't commit as to whether that's only the second class that are coming back or whether second or third class. So um, for those people, I would say get in touch with the school, first of all, uh, and ask about it, and the school is going to be given advice on the reopening over the next coming days ahead of next week. So that's where the Department of Education will lead on it, but we, we just don't have an answer yet. OK, because it would be impossible for the teacher to teach the second class and try to do remote learning with the thirds who were at home. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. Uh, look, it'd, it'd be just a logistical nightmare, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, how would you even run that? Would you try and have a Zoom on while you're teaching in the classroom? It, just, it wouldn't work. It absolutely wouldn't okay. work. So you would think a bit of common sense. And you, you might well see some of those third-class students back where, where they're mixed. And usually, I mean, in a lot of cases, these are rural schools where the class numbers are not massively big anyway. That's why you have them mixed. So you wouldn't think it would make too much of a difference to the overall number. Um, but the department, I think, will be dealing with those on, on a case-by-case basis. OK. All right. Listen, a pleasure as always, Sean. Thank you for that. And thanks for all of your information today. Uh, we'll thanks, speak man. again. Good morning to you. That is uh, Sean Defoe, our political editor. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. While the pandemic has devastated so many lives, but positives can emerge from the crisis, such as a long-term shift towards more remote working. Writing an opinion piece about this topic in last Sunday's business post was North Cork Doll Deputy Michael Moynihan, who joins me on the programme to share his views with us. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. And and you're, you're welcome. Do you believe people who are currently working remotely because of the COVID, do you believe many of them will want to continue doing that? I believe so. And I believe, you know, in the opinion piece I wrote, I I, I believe it's a seismic uh, change in society's attitudes. And for many years on your programme and others, I've been articulating a view that, you know, rural Ireland has huge potential. But when the pandemic struck almost 12 months ago, you know, a lot of people left the cities and towns and they left the, the rat race, the commuters, and they started walking from home. Now, Everybody won't want to work from home five days a week. They would like to get back into an office setting or would be a kind of a blended work from maybe one or two days a week in the office and a number of days at home. But I think that, you know, the public service has engaged with it. The private industry has engaged with it as well in a major way, right across, you know, the multinationals and some of our larger uh, businesses as well have people working from home. And you know, it has been very effective. And there's a lot of issues. I suppose there's quality of life issues. Uh, you know, the discussion was uh, in latter half, uh, the latter part of uh, 2019, at many of our discussions at Parliamentary Party meeting and others about the computer, commuter trains being full. You know, when you get to Limerick Junction, the Cork early morning train to Dublin was full at Limerick Junction or certainly was full further on up in Thurles. And also uh, look at, you know, places like like uh, the suburbs of Dublin where the 
the commuter trains were packed and, you know, you, you had to get up very early in the morning. And all this commuter, a rat race to be in a distant place, you know, you were two and a half hours a day in the car, which was adding to all kinds of stress and, you know, quality of life and everything else. And now walking remotely or walking from home. And it is the possibility, it's, I believe that if we allow it, I think that if we allow it, we can transform rural Ireland. For many years, we have been talking about decentralisation, centralised uh, policies or centralised people that advocated a centralised uh, approach were very much against it. I think that decentralisation has, you know, in any place that it has been rolled out has been very, very effective. And the the big winners, of course, uh, will be the rural communities. I mean, the local uh, economy is an obvious one that benefits uh, by having more people working at home. I mean, there is more money being spent in the local communities and that that will flourish or allow our local communities to flourish. And there's also, you know, they all talk about the climate change and the carbon footprint and everything else. And this policy, if we allow it to happen, can com- uh, complement that. It can allow that to happen. But it can have, you know, for family circumstances, whatever they are, you know, for elderly people living in their own communities to have relatives living near them rather than they in the cities and the uh, elderly people living in the rural communities. All of that will have a better impact. And those that are not commuting so many hours a day in their cars are at home and they will build up and get involved in their local communities as well and have a greater connection to their local communities, which gives an enhanced uh, opportunity. And I think that, you know, we have all lost so much in the last 12 months. There has been so much negativity. And, you know, people, I, I you know, I see it in my daily work. People are, you know, at almost at the end of their tether of this and, you know, further lockdowns announced yesterday and the, you know, everyone, you know, had their arm up saying we need, they would all take the vaccine in in a heartbeat to try and get over this hugely devastating pandemic that has beset us and the world over the last 12 months. But I think that we have to look at how the public, and I think that the public always lead policy in terms of how they uh, how they go about their work and how what they ha- how they have changed and how things have changed in the last 12 months i know that some people will say that we don't want to be working from home 5 days a week that we need the collegiality of the office but the blended system is certainly something that can be looked at and should be embraced by all policyholders. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a huge amount of, of positives and even, you know, when you're talking about all the people commuting, think of the, the environment is, is a real winner on, on that one. But the one uh, problem I see with it, we need to speed up the rollout of the National Broadband Plan so that people can choose if they want to work full-time in a very rural area. I mean, the one thing we have seen because of this pandemic is that digital divide. Absolutely. And you know, every day of the week we are talking to people who's the broadband, they're getting a wireless service, they're getting a service for some of the companies and it's breaking down and they're hugely frustrated with it. You know, the broadband is the enabler, is the great enabler. Now, they, in the latest discussion I had in the door with it, they were talking about speeding up the broadband, you know, the national broadband plan that, you know, that they have been doing surveys around, uh, particularly in in my own area, in North Cork and other places, and that they're hoping to, you know, they started off 
with some of the broadband connections have taken place. But that has to be driven. That has to be driven at an enormous rate because people are frustrated. You know, they're trying to do homework at home. They're trying to do schooling. They're trying to do work. They're trying to do everything is being done online at the moment. And we have changed, you know, from society has changed to online over the last 12 months. But the big enabler for this policy is the broadband plan. And it is what is going to solidify it or foundation it if we are to embrace it. And I think that as a society, you know, at the way population growths are and international figures and everything else, I think that we should look at the the, what is good in rural communities, what is excellent in rural communities in terms of the community itself, the strength of the community itself, the education facilities that have been there, have been built up, and also the I suppose the goodwill there that we should not the, 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 the people living in smaller I, I think the the line on my piece was you know the future was that we were going to be living in large urban centres and smaller and smaller uh, houses in larger urban centres and no way for families to uh, expand young families and people with, with uh, to, to allow them to um, have a quality of life and I think this is the policy that we have to engage with and we have to drive it but as you said Patricia, I believe like every single hour of every day we have people contacting us about the breakdown in broadband, about they're trying to get connections. Some people are using some of the digital hubs or some of the connection areas and they are travelling to and from houses uh, to try and get broadband to either do college work, to do uh, actual work or to do school work because the broadband is so poor and that, that is has the to great enabler. That, 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 that is the key. That is the, key. the key. And yes. Joe in Damanway says, my husband has been working from home since March of last year he works in IT he has no interest in going back into the office even though it was only a 30 minute commute uh, we have gone down to one car so it's a win-win situation so Joe and Oman we're very much agreeing with you and you're a family with, with young children you've been working remotely are you enjoying it? Are you... Well, I, I, it, we have had more time. Uh, I certainly have had more time at home, and it has had an enormous benefit to me and to my family unit. You know, working from home, I, I, I go to I have to be in Dublin so many days a week, but I and I'm in the office as well. But I do have more time at home than I ever had in my uh, uh, as a public representative, and I embrace that. But I also, you know, just the simple stuff that is in rural communities, that's part of my own hinterland, my own neighbourhood writing that I haven't explored or looked at for 20-odd years or 30 years nearly at this stage. And we have been looking at that, you know, taking the kids, looking at it. There's a whole raft of stuff that we that we have in rural communities uh, that we should be so proud of and we should try and, and, and keep out there at the forefront. But it is to make sure that our population stays in rural communities. If we have a population in rural communities, and I engaging with clubs and organisations over the last number of months, I think there's a great vibrancy uh, within rural communities at the moment. With it, and there is, uh, you know, they they are blending their work, and I think that there's a great opportunity for a greater quality of life. For you know, if you look at you know the fresh air, you know, a lot of people that, you know, they were saying that in the cities and so forth, people living on top of each other and all these policies of high-rise buildings and high-rise apartments, we need fresh air, we need the opportunity for people to grow and to blossom in rural communities. And this, I believe, is our chance to drive the policy that I have been advocating for quite some time. But as you say, 
the great enabler of that. The one thing that will allow that to happen is broadband. And it is the most frustrating thing from a public representative's point of view when you have people contacting you with their broadband breaking down and they're trying to do everything that we are all trying to do uh, with families and schools and every other thing, what we are trying to do and we are challenging it in a major way. Okay, we leave it there, uh, Michael. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you uh, Good morning to you. That is Cork Northwest West Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Michael Moynihan on the positives of remote working. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break. We've news at 11 on the way in the next hour. Should churches reopen for Easter? Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. One of our listeners looking for advice, uh, please. Hi, Patricia. Would you or any of your listeners have any idea about mould in a car? I've used mould remover a couple of times. It does take it away, but it always comes back. I'm wondering anybody else has a long term solution to the problem. But also I'm particularly wondering, is it dangerous for the person to be driving when there's mould inside in the car? And I have, I have no way of knowing the answer to that. So because I would if you were just looking to get rid of it, I would say any of those mould removers that we've discussed on the programme before, particularly the one that's in the green bottle, the mould and mildew remover that I swear by for use in bathrooms. You do have to take it away. It will come back again and you just spray it and, and it does. So I'm assuming you're using something like that. But I don't know, is it dangerous to be driving in a car when there's mould in the car? If the, when there's mould in it, is it dangerous for the driver and the other people in the car? Don't simply don't know. If anybody else knows the answer to that, I can offer advice to our listener. Please share it with us. 1850-333-103 and Claire is picking up on an earlier text from a listener who said that they fully understood wasn't it? Um fully understood why lockdown had to remain in place. And, you know, Anne said, well, you know, along, she, along with everybody else, is fed up with lockdowns, but we have to reduce the numbers and everybody has to keep going. And Anne, in her text, says, the reason the lockdown is continuing is because, and I quote, this was Anne's comment, we, the people, didn't behave before or over Christmas. We completely lost the run of ourselves and that the government can't open up uh, before Easter because the same thing would only happen again. People would lose the run of themselves. Well, Claire says, sorry now, Patricia, but I didn't lose the run of myself over Christmas. And I'm tired of people inferring that this lockdown is our fault, uh, busily telling us to get on with it as if we are to blame. A lot of us have adhered to the lockdown, but yesterday's announcement brings no hope unless you've got children in school. People, mainly expats, poured into this country at Christmas and didn't isolate. And now we're all scuppered. Now they've all scuppered back home, leaving us with the mess and their virus behind. And with politicians, as Claire, I feel, who haven't got a clue how to uh, sort it out. And that's from Claire. And actually, when I was reading out Anne's text, I did that did go through my mind that there are going to be people and I'd have to be I'd I'd be with you Claire on this one I didn't lose the run of myself over Christmas we had a very quiet Christmas just ourselves and normally I would have housefuls of people or I would be visiting people and I didn't do any of that either over Christmas and I know a lot of my own family did the very same thing we all stayed in our own little tiny bubbles and we didn't meet up like we normally do and I think you're right I think the majority of us did but unfortunately we opened up this country you are right 
to too many people coming in from outside and many of them not deliberately nobody nobody came in to this country deliberately with uh, COVID but unfortunately a number of them brought COVID with them which was a happy Christmas and the happy Christmas present nobody wanted 1850 333 103 thank you Kieran. by the way this is on Fromoy Bridge that we spoke about earlier that's closed and people have been forced to pay the toll on the motorway Kieran says I have just used Ballyhooly Bridge from the Fromoy direction to get to Rathcormac and the Cork Road all flood free so if there are any road users listening that need to get to Main Street for Moy etc and don't want to have to use the tolled road they can go that way instead if it suits. Thank you for that uh, Kieran. Hi Patricia to the person who texted in about it was Liam a construction worker himself who wanted to go back for even two days a week well no wonder says this texter with the prices construction workers charge for two days I would have to work a full week for what they get paid for two days and uh, that's some construction workers you can't say that about every construction worker gets uh, really well paid some of the trades I think get better paid than others and actually just um, when we mentioned about construction and construction not going ahead for the moment anyway there's a couple of people have been on somebody says no construction question mark question mark well there's a house in the North Cork area it went from foundation to the roof in the past few weeks I pass it every week riddle me that says uh, Charles and somebody else says Patricia in the West Cork area I don't see any construction workers out of work electricians or plumbers they all are working why isn't that being patrolled there are some builders though allowed to go to work uh, and I know on social housing and if people were finishing up work they were allowed to go ahead with this but I imagine anyone finishing up work I think it was to be finished up in two weeks when we went into this lockdown uh, or the after Christmas so I don't know how they're still still dragging that out if they were finishing off a job and I know there are some building projects but the majority of the bigger ones uh, certainly are not back and no sign after yesterday of them going back. Hi Patricia, any news on the visiting of nursing homes thanking you? Sadly no, we dealt with this yesterday on the programme when I spoke with Sage Advocacy who advocate on behalf of older people. They're really, really pushing for something to be done about nursing homes because we now know the majority of people in nursing homes have been vaccinated. At this stage, many of them have been fully vaccinated. We got a slew of calls last week from various nursing homes who were thrilled that they were getting their second shot. And of course, a week on from that, they are now fully vaccinated. But there's still this huge question mark on when visitors will be allowed in across the water in in England they are allowing uh, people in now they have to have an antigen test first but they are allowed one visitor to come in and they're even allowed to hold hands they still have to wear masks and all of that we're not at that stage uh, yet but I think there's going to be a big big push now that everybody in nursing homes have been fully vaccinated so I, I would kind of say watch this space I'm, expect, we can, I'm sure we can expect an announcement on that there certainly was nothing announced uh, yesterday somebody else saying any idea on the number Numbers that you could have at a wedding. My son is getting married in August. You, you might have some hope of having a half decent sized wedding, certainly more. What is it at the moment at six? Because if we take from what Micheál Martin said yesterday and if we take that 82% of the population are vaccinated by June, we should be well on our way by August 
to be coming out of a lot of the restrictions. So, and I know that that's not probably the answer you want because if you're planning a wedding, you need to know how many people you're inviting and getting invites out. So it's very, very difficult for anyone planning a wedding this year. And a lot of people whose weddings have been are going on this year were ones that were due to go ahead last year and had to be transferred to this year and they're still pretty much in limbo uh, land so my heart goes out to you but hang in there things could be you could have some hope by the end of uh, August Hi Patricia it looks like there is finally a plan in place by the government with the announcement yesterday for most national and secondary school students and that's very welcome but says this texter any mention of third level students or have I missed something? I have one final year student and one first year student, both critical years in their education cycle. The older, the final year student, hasn't been in college now since March of 2020, so out almost a year. And the younger one, not only has he not been inside the doors of the college, he never got to say he's leaving cert either. It seems to be OK to take the student accommodation money and we know where that got us and then let them self-educate online after that at home. The silence from Simon Harris as Minister for Higher Education on all of this has been totally unacceptable. He's either clearly out of his depth or he's burying his head in the sand and there was nothing yesterday about third level. I thought, and I'll have to get it checked, but I thought, did I read somewhere a few weeks ago that the decision has been taken nobody back into uh, college for the rest of this academic year? I thought I read that somewhere. I'll have to get it uh, checked. But but certainly yesterday, no, the, all the attention and focus was on primary and secondary school. And I certainly didn't hear or read anything about third level. Leave it with me and I'll see if I can find out something uh, for you on that. Somebody else says, Patricia, the City Hall has not been used for one single vaccine. It was all a great photo opportunity and I know the facts. Why? Because my daughter works in City Hall. Well, a lot of those vaccination centres and we did see photographs of them on the paper, we saw them on TV. A lot of them haven't been used yet but that was always the plan. The plan was to get these centres kitted out, ready to go and they will really kick in when we have a lot of vaccines in this country. I think when we get to the April, May and June when they're expecting one million vaccines to be available and when they're going to be opening it up to the general population. I think that's when you're going to see those vaccination centres being used. I know the one at CIT in Bishopstown, that certainly is going to be used this coming Saturday because we have Dr Mike Thompson on from Immokilly and he's heading up the GPs, he's heading up the the vaccination that's going to be going on on Saturday. That's for the over 85s and it's a number of smaller GP practices, not just from East Cork. I think they're from all over and they certainly will be using the CIT vaccination centre. But yes, you're right, the City Hall one hasn't been used yet, as indeed a lot of the other centres like that around the country they haven't been used yet but they will they will uh, in time for sure and then a number of people are asking when I was going through the new different categories that they've announced and people being bumped up for vaccination uh, Mags uh, Megs sorry Megs is saying what about somebody with a cardiac valve replacement and Crohn's are they on the uh, list I can't find the Crohn's but would Crohn's fall in under a metabolic disease would it come in under somebody who's immune compromised because both of those are mentioned, but certainly on heart disease, heart disease is certainly mentioned. Chronic heart and vascular uh, disease 
is in the revised cohort seven. That's if you're between 16 and 64. And if you're aged between 65 and 69 and you have a heart condition, then you go into uh, cohort uh, five. And someone else was asking about if I can find somebody who is, I can't find the, the other one, but there was somebody else was asking about their, their age group. They're in the 65 to 69 age group, don't have any underlying condition. They've also moved, they've moved slightly down the list. But those aged 65 to 69 who don't have any condition, I'm sure I saw them, they're in cohort six. So they've moved slightly. You'll be a little bit later getting your vaccination than you would have been before they decided to revise it. But but when I was reading through all of those texts, I was just spotted on the, or listened when I heard it on the, the ad break uh, there, the if you get onto the HSE, either hse.ie, see if you can find the information online there. But failing that, if you ring the HSE or the HSE Live, they're really good at giving you all of that information. Um, Yvonne is in Canturk. Um, where do I fall in the vaccination? I'm 65 with no underlying condition. Yeah, you're, you've, you're, you certainly have been moved, uh, but you're now into cohort six. But I don't have dates on when any of these different groups will start. No doubt we will hear more as they start to get more vaccines into the country. Hi, Patricia. Good morning to you. I felt hope and a reason to be optimistic after listening to Micheál Martin talk last night when he addressed the nation. I reckon if we all stick with it until the 5th of April, we will be in a much better place by then. I reckon they will lift restrictions gradually every three to four weeks after after that. We must always have hope. Take care. Well done. Well done. That's the right positive attitude. And I certainly did. I mean, there was nothing that he announced that we didn't know. The only thing that we didn't know was when he came out with the vaccination and I took a great bit of hope from that and I'm clinging on to that for dear life that the majority of us will be vaccinated uh, by uh, June. Hi Patricia, everybody needs the vaccination so would it not just make sense to set up vaccination centres and open it up to all age groups? 65% of the new cases yesterday were under the age of 35. If we could stop them getting COVID it would certainly help to reduce the spread. Uh, and that obviously would then go on to protect the elder population. We will eventually get to that stage, I think, when they get all of the over 70s done. And then when they now go through the various different groups that they've mentioned with certain illnesses, they've all got moved up the vaccination list. There then will come the day when we will be talking about an, uh, an online portal where when you're ready to get the vaccination, you'll be putting your details in and you'll be given a day and a time to go for, for the shot. And we are hoping that that's going to happen sooner rather than later. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Alpine in Mill Street. They are looking for a manufacturing technician. You need to have a minimum of three years' experience in a high volume manufacturing industry. Windmill Nursing Home, that's in Churchtown. They're looking for a registered nurse. While an experienced horse groomer is wanted for the Mallow area. And milk recorders and EDIY trainers are required for various locations throughout the Munster region. You'll find all of the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is 
C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, the head of the Catholic Church has said people should be able to gather safely to mark Easter this year with Archbishop Eamon Martin calling on the Taoiseach to allow public worship to return during the season of Lent to get the views of priests. I'm joined by Father Tim Hazelwood of the Association of Catholic Priests. Good morning to your Father Tim. Good morning. And you're, you're, you're welcome to the programme. Thank now, you. Your association is a bit nervous about the possibility of reopening of churches for Easter. Can you explain why? Well, I suppose, firstly to say the decision is made at this stage on the plan from yesterday, they're not opening. So it's done, you know, um, and I suppose the reasoning for me behind it is that if you give in that situation an indoor gathering with large numbers of people, then other lobbying groups will say, well, we can do it just as well, even better. Why can't we open? So I think they have made a decision across the board that indoor gatherings, with, especially from what we hear of this new variant, then um, it's better that for, for the good of everybody that we stay closed. And our association would agree with that. Because I suppose as at priests at the ground level, we see the devastation that it has call, caused. You know, there's been funerals in all our parishes of people who have had COVID. And um, so we just think it's safer. And are you hearing from parishioners? Are many of them looking for the churches to reopen, especially for Easter? I'll be honest with you, no. Okay. They're not. I think they understand. Because, like, here we had a very sad, you know, a man in the early 60s last week uh, who who got the got COVID and died. So they, the people see, and uh, people are fearful, and, like, we can't even send the kids to school, to, and they are the ones who have less likelihood. And the people who would be coming to Mass would be, by and large, the older people, you know, um now, in time, please God, when they're vaccinated, it will be safer for older people to come to church. But um, there now. are some people who, I think there are people who deny the seriousness of what this is and want it to open. And I th- in my own opinion, that's uh, reckless, I think. But the, the Taoiseach did meet with a group of bishops um, last week who made mm. this plea to open the churches. And I was wondering when I heard about it, did any of those bishops, did they consult with priests on the ground? I mean, were, 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 did, did you hear of anyone being consulted? Don't stop me. Don't stop me. <laughs> <laughs> on my hobby horse. No, but again, and this is the, this is the I suppose, the, at the heart of, of, where, of a dilemma in the church at the moment. Like Pope Francis is asking us to be a synodal church. And a synodal church is one that discusses, that's open, that interacts, that dialogues, all these things. The first we heard of this was an announcement from the Taoiseach's office that this had been asked for. Like, uh, we represent a thousand priests, and I was inundated with calls from priests saying, what is this about? Do you know, did, did they talk to anybody? And, uh, and I thought, they're entitled to a point of view, and we're not saying that, but, but this is what we think. So I think a better communication should have gone on. And I, I suppose I would wonder what they pressurised from a certain group to 
you know, to make that plea. I don't know. I don't know what informs. Like, we had a meeting ourselves then, the leadership of the ACP, and we rang around and asked priests what did they think. And to a man, and some of them were not members of the ACP, they just felt that it's not right. Nervous, just nervous about no. the idea of... But we, we, we have priests in our diocese who've got COVID as well. Like most mm. of our lads are elderly as well. And there's a young priest, well, he's not young, he's late 50s in Dublin, who's on a ventilator at the moment. Wow, wow. So that's the reality. And like we, we are doing funerals and, and, you know, calling to sick people and all these things. And then to bring large gatherings into the church, oh, we just think tw- we didn't think it was wise. Yeah, because I know your parish opted not to, but did, did many churches hold masses at Christmas? Apologies there, no, okay? my mobile, just for a second. Okay. Actually, around here, a good few did. A good few, um, a good few churches in East Cork decided not to have masses at Christmas. Yeah. I had an interesting, just a, uh, it's a true story after Christmas. Um, in, in, in the end of January, I, I was just at one part of the parish, I met two women who were out walking. And one of the women, she won the local GA lotto, and I stopped and I congratulated her, and we were having a little bit of banter. And she said, do you remember the last time we met? And I said, I don't. She said, I had COVID. Huh. Yeah, it was a very stark. And she said, I came down. We, what we had is that we had Holy Communion. You come in the church, you, you, you go to the crib and say a prayer, receive communion, go out. And she said, I would have fought. She said, I came to that, but I had COVID. All my family had it. Our daughter came back from Dublin. And she said, we w- I would have forced them to go to Mass for Christmas. And all of us would have been brought COVID into the church. And she, when she came to the church to receive communion, she didn't realise she'd she COVID. She didn't realise, no. And that would have been Christmas Eve, wasn't that it? That was Christmas Eve. So she'd have turned up to Mass either later yeah. that night or Christmas morning. Yeah, with her family, who all oh. had it as well. See, this is the... And like it was people who had come home there was so much travel around Christmas time and movement. So, um, yeah, we've learned a valuable lesson from, from that for sure. But, by the way, have many priests been vaccinated at this stage? Do you know or have you heard? Anecdotally, there are some, but we haven't. You know, I think some of the lads in towns who would have going to nursing homes or early on, I think nursing homes gave some. And then I think places that are attached to health board facilities like hospitals and, you know, smaller hospitals, some have. But in the country, most of us haven't, haven't yet. OK, you're, you're waiting. And will you get it when you get the call? Well, whenever the call comes. Yeah. Most important thing anyway, Patricia, my mother got it on Did Monday. Did she? Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and she's thrilled. Is she? Is she? Yeah. It's just there's a sense of joy, isn't there? About there's relief, I think. There's, yeah. There's a kind of, that's what, you know, people are saying to me who've got it. There's this kind of just... You can kind of breathe again, you, you, you know, but I suppose we'll still have to be careful. I have an interesting, uh, um, I was listening to somebody f- from England, that they expect that up to nearly a third of people won't be taking the, the vaccination, either by choice or because of medical reasons. So like, I think Boris Johnson was on about opening up everything we're all, but he was saying, whoa, we won't be, you know. Yeah, and, and well, that's where you'll... We'll hope that the majority of people will get it and will do herd immunity for those who won't decide to do it. Actually, I read an interesting piece from the Vatican over the weekend because Pope Francis has done the big push for people to be vaccinated in the vaccine and uh, in the Vatican. And they've come out and said, no jab, no job. They're, they're going to move people around. They, they only want vaccinated people in the Vatican. And I wonder in the future, you know, if 
there's danger to those who are not vaccinated when they come to Mass, whether we'll be thinking about saying, if you are vaccinated, you can come. I wonder, yeah. you know, yeah. like if the church is going to be a place of danger for people. I, I don't know. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of it's, it's the same with people who one day will want to travel again and get on yeah. an aeroplane. Will you have to have your, your COVID vaccine passport with and you I, or you won't get on the plane? And that definitely is going to come in. That's definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I think if it come, comes in there, it'll come in in lots of other places as well, you know, because it's, um, well, it's, 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 it's too dangerous. It's. And new variants and all new of that, variants. and that's why. And when you when you listened to me, Martin, did you take any sense of hope out of his speech last night? And and I know people wanted a lifting of the five k rule, and they wanted some of the restrictions uh, lifted. We're getting mixed views in. Some people took a great sense of comfort from the fact of him saying that he hopes you know over eighty percent of the population will be vaccinated by, by June. June. Yeah, it's brilliant to so. hear that. Yeah, I think. Well, I think. It, even though the weather was shocking yesterday, but like spring is coming as well, and I think the days are getting longer. I think it might brighten our spirits a little bit more. But uh, like I think the fact that if more and more are vaccinated, then I think, especially the most the vulnerable, I think then I think I think it, it, there is hope. I think you know. Um, It'd be great to see the sun, wasn't it? Yeah, it would indeed. <laughs> and actually, just one other thing that the bishops, when they went in to, uh, to speak with the Taoiseach and, and made mm. their plea, they did look for an increase in the numbers that I could attend a funeral. Now, again, it wasn't mm. mentioned yesterday, so it's still remaining at, at 10. Do you think that number could be bumped up a little bit? But again, like this is more of uh, like looking for more and more. I, and I just think, I think we as a church should be the ones saying, look, we have to mind ourselves and mind it. The man that I spoke about of last week contracted it at a funeral. Oh. So, like, when you say a funeral, it, like, it, what we'd say is, that, oh, you can be safe in the church, so you put people all scattered around the place. But by very nature of what a funeral is, people hug and touch and all this. So, and like, I hear that there's kind of a weakening coming in different places that now people are coming outside churches and standing nearby. So, like, that's the beginning of going back to the way we were. Would you just be so careful? Just, and like, for one person to die from it, you know, um, and like, the, the circumstances are awful when you meet a family and you have to say, look, nephews, nieces, you can't come, or in-laws, you can't, but... Just remember what's it for, you know? Yeah, I heard of a family from Dublin and there was eight children in the, in the family and they lost their mother uh, to COVID and like that, they couldn't have any of their siblings or any of their spouses mm. at the funeral and the eight of them went off and I think it was two of the grandchildren which were, were chosen to make up the ten. But uh, I heard the guy, one of the men saying, you know, they walked out of that cemetery, all got into cars and went home to their own houses yep. on their own because they saw what COVID had done to their mother. Yeah. And they just said that they couldn't take the risk, you know, and yeah. they just all went home and it's just, it goes against everything we believe in, yeah. the way we, way we, we cocoon people around bereavement and we look after them. We're just not able to do it, which is, a, but listen, that time will come back again. It That's will the back. other thing to remember and that, like, and we'll have to work through all that stuff with people, I think, you know, have liturgies and different things to help people to remember properly. So it will be a quiet Easter? It will, but uh, I suppose we, we, we're on Facebook. And I think that's the other thing when people say we're denied it. We're not really. We can, like, it, there's masses and liturgies and stuff happening online. And, you know, that we, we have to 
make do with that. I'd prefer, I'd love to have people in the church and crowds, and but I think, you know, we'll make do. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to. And just one final one. A listener says, Hi Patricia, could you ask Father Hazelwood when he's on, did he play hurling when he was in Bantir? Oh, God, it was a long time ago. <laughs> I tried to. I think I tried to. I had a great time there, actually. We had a great time in Bantir, yeah. You, you never made the Cork team, no? No, didn't make it that far. <laughs> There were good times and lovely people. Good, good. Okay. Listen, you stay safe, uh, Father Thank Tim, and we'll speak again. Take care. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, Father Tim uh, Hazelwood just uh, updating us on the. There won't be, the churches won't be open uh, for Lent. Uh, for Lent are for Easter and, uh, and I can see some texts coming in people really are upset are upset about it and, and would like to see uh, the churches back somebody said I'm not in agreement with what Father is speaking about now uh, Patricia that's somebody who very much wants uh, the churches open and Kathleen says after all the bishops please not one word for government about churches for Easter the most important time of the year um, did Michal Martin put the lid on the church for good? I'm not. Oh, and I'm not over the top religious, says Kathleen in Cork City. But somebody who would really like to get back into a church. Martin in Formoy says, I think the churches should not open because at the end of the day, it's a gathering of people, isn't it? So why not? If you were to open the churches, people would say, why not have other places open then as well? And funny, that, I think that's exactly the point that Father Tim was making that if they gave in is probably the wrong word but if they decided to allow the churches to open that's what would happen you'd have another group coming out straight away saying well if you're allowing 50 people inside in a church why can't we have 50 people inside in a restaurant why can't we have 50 people inside in a GA hall and it would just go on and on Hi there I think the church services should open up the churches were and are the safest places to be in all of the protocols were put in place it also would offer great support for people's mental health people are struggling without being fed from the altar of God says a listener and someone else says Liam says well done to Father Tim uh, Hazelwood he is so right we have to protect everybody particularly elderly people and in the main it is elderly people who go to Mass I absolutely think that that was the right decision not to open up the uh, churches um, are Stations of the Cross allowed to resume once COVID-19 passes in August or whenever? Stations of the Cross, oh, that's Stations at the House, I'm assuming you're talking about. Is it when you have the stations? Uh, again, you, you do Yeah, I imagine stations in people's houses will start back up again once life returns to normal where we're a long way away from that. Do I take it you're due to have the stations after August? Maybe that's the reason for your question. I'm not too sure. There's certainly no indication and no talk of events like that uh, taking place. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG and on churches remaining closed listener says we have mass every day on the TV and people are adapting to that and Antoinette says why not open the churches the mosques haven't uh, closed they have uh, Antoinette all when we're talking about churches opening we're talking about all of all religions Uh, the all services must be held online under level 5 restrictions now places of worship remain open for private prayer so maybe that's what you're talking about when you're saying mosques have remained open 
they can remain open for private prayer as indeed Catholic churches and Church of Ireland churches they're open for private prayer but all of their services are online and that's across all religions not just the Catholic Church 1850 Now a majority of Cork County councillors have voiced their objections to the Coombe Green Energy Park project in North Cork. Councillor William O'Leary believes it would have a detrimental effect on the Glenville, Ballyhooley, Killavollen, Moorn Abbey and Bottle Hill areas. And Councillor William O'Leary joins me this morning. Good morning to you, William. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Now, How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This is a major wind farm. Can you just outline for listeners how big this project is? Yes, Patricia. So this project... Um is incorporating a 22 uh, wind turbines at 169 metres high. Uh, they're the, uh, placed broadly in the communities that you have uh, just mentioned before in the interlude to the conversation there. And they're, they're um, broadly going to be uh, constructed across the Nagelview Mountains and across the Blackwater Valley, which is um, a special area of conservation. So... There's, I mean, 169 metres. These are ginormous. These are... There, there has been very little on this scale that we can compare to compare this to in this country over the last number of years, Tricia. I mean, I mean, the concerns, the main concerns we have here are the proximity these are people's homes. Um, so, I mean, the NVTA, who are the group that represents the communities of Battle Hill, Morn Abbey, Carrickenbar, Glimble, Kilavullen and Ballyhooley, they have over the last 18 months, nearly to two years, they have begged the developers to sit down and have a proper consultation process here. Um, and what I will say, there is no doubt that COVA has suited the developers here in the sense that they have now lodged this uh, planning application to onboard Panala. This planning application is deemed to have special uh, infrastructural development status, which means that the planning application bypasses the county council and goes straight on board Panala for a decision on this. Um, so, I mean, the big concern here is that the, the guidelines for the development of wind energy haven't been updated since 2006. Uh, there has been draft guidelines published in 2019. These are the guidelines that developers who are developing projects such as these would go off of to ensure best practice in, ter- in terms of setback distance, you know. So that is a huge concern that... Uh, the guidelines haven't been updated, Patricia. Um, and a lot and of people they, say those guidelines now are really just out of date. Well, they're, they're not fit for purpose. I mean, when they were um, issued in 2006, they didn't take into account projects to this size and magnitude and to this scope, you know. Uh, they're, those guidelines are more suited to someone who wants to put up a turbine on their land, you know. Not, uh, not, 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 not 22 not, of 169 metres high. No, absolutely not, you know. And look, they, they, as part of that process, you know, while on board Penala are making a decision on the project, uh, they will seek uh, Cork County Council and in this case the Chief Executive of Cork County Council to um, compile a report on it. And that's what we would have discussed at Monday's uh, full meeting of Cork County Council. So uh, as part of that process, the Chief Executive would issue his report. As part of that reporting, councils would have the opportunity, the opportunity to have their views included within the report. You know, And I was glad to see that within the Chief Executive's report um, that, that it did outline many of the serious ecological and environmental concerns that we were beating the drum about over the last two years. You know, I mean, this is smack bang in the valley of, uh, of, a, of a, a very important ecological and environmental area, you know. 
uh, within the neighbouring mountains and within the Blackwater Valley. You know, this this will do more damage to the environment than than, than good. You know, but like I said, the main concern here, and, and I'm sure you you would have heard on this show before, are the concerns of with regard to human health. You know, which are very very genuine. You know, yeah, people are scared. People really are 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 scared. Is this an area? Has it been considered for a wind farm in the past? Yes, it has. There was a previous. Um, proposal there I think going back to 2002 for I'm not sure the exact amount of turbines possibly 16 or 16 in a very within the same scope of the areas you know which was refused planning for the same concerns that I outlined there you know and it's smacked down in the middle of a hen harrier it was in the Blackwater Valley and within the Neighbourview Mountains, you know, and the, the, what's further concerning is and I just go back to the draft guidelines that were issued last year which haven't been published yet you know and they state that you know they, they don't even adhere to European best practice. So, like I explained to you, the turbines are 169 metres in height. So, if we're going off European best practice, they're saying that the setback distance for those turbines should be 10 times the tip height in someone's property. So, if they're 169 metres high, uh, just doing the math, this should be 1.69 metres. Uh, a 1.69 kilometre setback distance should be achieved from, from, from someone's property, you know? So, we're not adhering to that, you know, and like I've always said, Patricia, from the outset during this process, you know, as a country, we do need to look at new ways at generating power. Electricity and wind are an important part of that, yeah. you know, but meeting those energy goals, you know, should not be used to justify the wrong development in the wrong location, which this is. And the yeah, need I mean, new- every yeah. time I've discussed an issue like this from this area or indeed any area uh, across uh, Cork County, you know, it's always the case. Nobody, everybody accepts the importance of renewable energy, but nobody wants to live near huge, big turbines like this. And I constantly raise the issue. Can we not put them out at sea? That is the that is the argument. I mean, uh, our European neighbours seem to be going down that track. I mean, are we? I think from a technological point of view and a financial point of view, we're not there yet to do that. But it's something if we if we want to uh, improve our wind energy targets and our and our um, and our environmental targets, it's a process that we need to kick off, Patricia. I mean, this has been going on for years. We've had we've seen previous applications going in for planning with regards wind energy farms, which have been very genuinely turned down. In my view, um, but the process of how we how we get this process offshore and off the shore, we are an island, you know, mm. <laughs> which which is, which is how we get this process offshore just hasn't been initiated yet, and and it really does need to be. Okay, and where 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 are we at with this proposal um, from a planning point of view? Where where is it at? What's the timeline on this? Yeah, so the proposal was lodged to um, board Panala just before Christmas. Um, Submissions were open between Christmas and the 15th of February, so there was well over 400 submissions received by the board um, from residents, from from local community councils and from public representatives. So at this stage now, there is a decision due on this project, I think around the 21st of June uh, this year. So look, we are a couple of months away from it. Um, but look, I would plead with the board, and it was part of... Um, it was part of just many submissions that were received by the board to give the local communities involved here, to give the NVTA, who are the lobby group in this regard, an oral hearing, to hear their concerns, because they weren't heard as part of the uh, consultation phase of this, you know. Um, like, there was, there, was, there was ample opportunity to do that. I have a, a stack of emails here from, from the community, different communities involved, the different community councils. 
you know, begging the developers to come around the table, begging them to sit down, you know, and they were getting back very generic answers. So I would hope that on board Panala would afford uh, the communities, communities here what, what they weren't afforded by the developer, proper consultation and to have their concerns People just want to be listened to. They really just want to be listened to. I think so. Okay. I think so. All right, listen, I know it's an issue. We will return to uh, Willie in the meantime. Uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Councillor William O'Leary, 1850-333-103. It is Wednesday, by the way, so that means Peter Dowdell will be joining us after 12. If you've got a gardening question, get your gardening questions in uh, 1850-333-103. And after half past 12, we'll put to your gardening questions to uh, Peter. People still talking about churches. What are people on about? People can go into churches any day they want. Churches are open. You can go in and do the Stations of the Cross yourself or you can go in and say the uh, Rosary and John in Mallow saying the very same thing. People are on about churches being closed. All the churches are open for private prayer. John says, I go in about four times a week. Uh, you can go in whenever you want. They just ask that you hand you sanitise on the way in and the way out. Uh, so uh, people should be aware. And uh, yeah, I think people are aware the churches are open, but I think it's the services. People want the Mass to they want to be able to go to Mass and the bishops in particular without consultation with the priests wanted the religious services to go ahead particularly during Lent and on Holy Week but certainly Micheál Martin uh, sticking to his guns on not lifting any of the major level 5 restrictions and certainly there's no go ahead and no pushback on that for sure. And I've just seen our Sean Defoe, our political editor we spoke with uh, earlier on the programme I've just seen him tweet about third class students. Remember we got some questions in when Sean was on, what about in smaller schools where there's a mixed second and third class? Happens in some larger schools as well it isn't just smaller uh, schools. Anyway, he's after getting confirmation from the Department of Education. Some third class students will be back in school next week. The Department of Education has confirmed that where there's split classes of second and third all students will return and go back into the classroom next Monday. So if your child is in third and it's a split class with second class, then they will be going back to school next Monday. We're going to take a break. We have news at 12 midday on the way. We'll catch up with your comments and we'll also get your gardening questions answered by Peter Dowdell. All in the next hour. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie you're listening to cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed some reaction to the listener who has mold in her car it cleans it out with mold remover but it keeps coming back but it's more worried about is it dangerous to be driving when you have mold in the car Thomas in from says yes it is dangerous to drive a car that has mold because you'll be inhaling it and I know what I'm talking about because our house is full of mold and we keep getting sick my suggestions to that person is to get another another car um, because you will never be able to get rid of it. That's some Thomas in from Moy. But Pat in Clonakilty reckons the dampness could be because the ceiling of the door is loose or the window may be a tiny bit open and that could be causing mildew in the car. So take a look at them, make sure that the car is sealed properly. And Charlie in Whelan suggests a half a pint of water and a couple of spoonfuls of vinegar in it. Get a cloth, rub it on the mould and it should clear it. I, I think though the listener is, is clearing it, Charlie, but the problem is it keeps coming back and is now worried about when she's 
driving around with the mould is it causing you know is it making her unwell I think that's what she's most uh, worried about so that's what we got in from people thank you people who took time out for that Pat on the pop payment says with the money that has been spent in this country and the pan the pop the pandemic payment and all of the other supports it runs to about 200 million euro uh, a month look how much that is adding up and how much it is costing the exchequer could they not use that money to buy extra vaccines Pat said they, they, he I think it's a he was watching Virgin Media TV last night and Michael McGrath the minister was on and when it was put to him that Denmark has excess vaccines basically for sale he appeared to look surprised they don't seem to know what's going on around them and sure this an issue on vaccines that we've mentioned on this programme are the excess vaccines that they have in the UK and it's already somebody in the UK I don't know if it was Boris himself but somebody someone from the government had already offered the excess vaccines and they offer them to Ireland because it, it suits the powers that be in the UK to have Ireland vaccinated uh, as well and we we I jokingly started that hashtag last week buzz would somebody buzz Boris please and ask them for could we buy some of the vaccines from him and, and yesterday actually we ran it on the news Dr Gabriel Scally who is originally from Belfast but he's the president of the Epidemiology and Public Health Section of the Royal Society of uh, Medicine he says that the Taoiseach Micheál Martin should be in talks with Bar- Boris Johnson about buying up some of the additional UK vaccines because we know that the UK have too many vaccines. They will have excess vaccines. And Dr. Gabriel Scali says, "Get Micheál Martin. He should be ringing Boris to see if he can him buy it." And um, the Pat is right. The amount of money that this pandemic is costing the exchequer and it will all have to be paid back at some stage. It isn't free money uh, for sure. That yeah, I'd be using every available cent I had to buy any vaccine that I thought would be of use in this country. And Bridie is a nursing home resident listening to us on the programme today with people wanting to get back in to visit loved ones in a nursing home. Uh, Bridie says, we don't want visitors at the moment because many of the visitors that are attempting to come in are all depressed saying they can't wait to go for a pint. So if you do manage to get in, to a nursing home can you please bring a sunny disposition with you says our Bridie hope you're keeping well and safe uh, Bridie uh, Jim says I was watching online mass this morning on TV and the priest that was speaking in his homily he referenced the speech yesterday from me Hall Martin and the fact that the lockdown is continuing until uh, April it was Father Pat Walsh from uh, Tralee he asked people to reach out and to connect and contact each other he said ring someone let them know that you are there if they need somebody and he compared it to spring and the changes we are seeing as if it is spring and summer's on the way and that everything's going to be okay and Jim says really enjoyed the harmony this morning at the Mass and he said it actually gave him a little bit of uh, hope. Thank you for that. Hi, that's on. Hi Patricia, when you say that all churches are open. Can I let you know that not all churches are open? Ours has been closed during every lockdown. Don't know where Mary now is texting us from. I love to visit the church when it's quiet and when it's empty. I just find a space inside to be still and to be quiet. But Mary's local church isn't open. Again, it's an individual parish 
decision whether churches can open or not because even though they are open for private prayer there's still an element of cleaning involved and sanitising and making sure that they're clean and safe for everybody so I suppose if some parishes don't have the volunteers to go in and do the cleaning they possibly can't uh, remain open but I know for a lot of churches they certainly do open not all day but they'll open for so many hours uh, a day there's a gardening question for Peter thank you for that Hi Patricia read the Covid vaccine travel pass or travel COVID vaccine passport as they're talking about. What's going to happen in a year or so when immunity from the vaccine is uh, gone? But nobody knows. Nobody knows if COVID will still be around in a year's time. If it is still around, are we going to need boosters to the vaccine? That's that's what the scientists are there and that's what the scientists are working on at the moment. And Marie says, I don't think the vaccine will be the magic potion at all. You can still get COVID. You can still transmit COVID. Yeah, but the important point is you're not going to get sick and you're not going to end up in hospital. And Marie says, we don't even know if it's going to work against all of the variants. Hopefully it will, but it's still in the trial stage, says Marie. But take comfort from the fact that it's, it's a worldwide trial now that it's it's been tried in real time because people are getting the vaccine and some countries of course further ahead than others and the information and the research that's coming back is so so positive so please take great comfort from that that the vaccines are uh, working and uh, any of the studies that I've seen from people out in the community who've received the vaccine 100% uh, nobody has died having received the vaccine who went on say, to say they did pick up COVID and very small percentage ended up in, in hospital so it is working certainly they are working Liz says Hi Patricia if I have my vaccine and I'm fully vaccinated and I go to visit relatives in nursing homes who are also fully vaccinated why can't we visit each other uh, said Liz and you know, Liz you're not the first to mention that I saw a nurse who's fully vaccinated on the papers during the week and her mum who's in a nursing home is fully vaccinated and she is is raising that very same issue. Why can't I get in to see my mother? We're both fully vaccinated. I do think there's going to have to be some kind of a move on uh, nursing homes now that everybody in nursing homes are fully vaccinated. So as, as they say, watch this space. I think certainly we're going to be hearing some changes to the way visitation on nursing homes are happening at the moment. And Jimmy in Formoy says, Patricia, I'm listening to you and I'm sitting in my car parked in Formoy Town I'm looking at four people talking to each other. Not one of them have a mask on. And by the way, none of them are two metres apart. They're not keeping the correct distance. And guess what? They're not all from the same household. They're from four different households. What a laugh. We will never come out of lockdown because of people like uh, that. Some people are not adhering to the rules and regulations. Hi Patricia, do you know if gardeners are allowed to work? I've got shrubs that need cutting back, says a Mill Street listener. I don't, but I'll ask Peter Dowdle. He's a man in the know and he's going to be joining us with answering your gardening questions. So I'll, I'll take a note of your question and I'll find out from Peter. Uh, hi Patricia, surely when 50% of the population will be vaccinated, surely they'll have to start opening up the country. I can't understand why they can't roll the vaccine out quicker. Well, they, yeah, and I think there will be moves and I think that was one thing listening to Micheál Martin. The more people that are vaccinated, the safer the country gets and I think we will see restrictions being lifted. I think you're spot on w- with that. The reason why they're not rolling it out quicker is they can't get their hands on the vaccine. We only get so much, 1.1% of all of the vaccines that is bought every Every single week by the EU comes into this country. It's done on population basis. It's the same for every other European member of the EU. And so therefore we are limited. We're limited on what we can get. But with more vaccines coming on stream, hopefully we will have uh, more uh, 
as we head into April, May and June. That is the plan at the moment. Hi Patricia, just wondering, uh, can I find out some information anywhere please? I work in a primary school. I'm very high risk medically and because of that I've been advised by MedMark that I'll not be returning to school. I'm just wondering what will my pay be now? I'm single, paying a mortgage, just wondering if I'll be able to cope financially. I won't be working remotely as it's not possible past the 15th of March as all of the kids will be back in school. I would suggest you get on to the principal of your school ASAP just to get clarification on that because I know when the teachers unions went in to discussions about the reopening of the school that was one of the things that was on the table was what about some members of staff who will be medically vulnerable and they certainly were going to be catered for us. So I would be getting on to your principal. And also, if you are medically at risk, you obviously have heard the good news that you've been moved into cohort four and hopefully you're in one of the categories. 16 to 69-year-olds with a very high risk of severe COVID-19 disease, you'll be getting your vaccine quicker than you would have been before they did the... before they change the list for the vaccine so there's a bit of good news but in the meantime I would be getting on to your principal I'd be just to find out what is the financial implications of it now that you're not allowed to go back into uh, work If uh Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Liz, oh, this is on people losing the run of themselves. Liz says, all it takes is one person with the virus to lose the run of themselves. And then you've got everybody in that community uh, suffering because of it. Yeah, how right you are. 1850 Keep your gardening questions coming, please, for Peter Dowdle. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme, here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID 19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. Dublin historian Liz Gillis will speak on Women of the Revolution. It's at the monthly Zoom lecture of Duke's Clonakilty Heritage and it's happening tomorrow, Thursday at 9pm. The To request login details, you need to email Duke's Lectures and Field Trips at gmail.com. 
and Dara Community Centre they're hosting community guard Damien White from Bandon Guard the station on their Zoom webinar that's also happening tomorrow Thursday oh sorry it's Thursday the 11th of March and that's at 8pm he'll be speaking about internet safety cyber bullying as well as crime prevention farm safety and lots more for more details on how to log on to this webinar you need to check out Dara Community Centre's Facebook page and Cork County Council's COVID-19 response programme is coordinated community response to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs. If you or anyone else needs help in accessing non-emergency, non-medical supports or advice, you can call their dedicated confidential phone, free phone number on 1800 805 819. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie A listener wants to know if anybody's been out driving this morning. Is the road from Kiskame to Mallow? Can you drive on that road? And they're also wondering the stretch of road outside the race course. Is it possible? If anybody was out driving in those areas this morning, can you let us know? Now, a team of brave heroes came to the rescue last night after an elderly man who was sleeping in a tent got trapped by rapidly rising flood waters. Mallow Search and Rescue launched a boat on the Blackwater after the man was cut off by the currents and at huge risk of getting hurt or, God forbid, even worse. Ronan Looney is Secretary of Mallow Search and Rescue and he joins me. Good morning to you, Ronan. Hi Patricia, how are you keeping? I'm keeping very well. Uh, well done on this rescue uh, ye- yesterday evening. Can you outline what happened in the timeline of events? Yeah, so um, the, a member of the public actually spotted this man uh, waving what we believe to be a flashlight or something to try and draw attention to himself um, and subsequently called the emergency services um, and we were then contacted about five past six by the, the Gardaí um, requesting our assistance to a person in the water. Um, from there, we made our way to, to um, our unit in, in Mallow and launched a rescue boat in the back of our unit there. Thankfully, we were able to get to the person um, and get him on board and back to, to dry land to get him checked out. Um, and thankfully, he was uh, fit and well after after that ordeal and uh, the guardy made sure that he had somewhere, somewhere to go uh, for the evening so that he wasn't out in the elements for the night. And what were conditions like at, at six o'clock yesterday evening, Ronan? Uh, well, like I suppose as many your listeners know, it was quite bad. Um, the flood water was kind of rising pretty quickly, so um, there was you know a pretty pretty big urgency on, on getting the, the man out of the, out of the river because um, yeah, the river was rising quite quickly. And it was where his tent had he'd pitched his tent, and the 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 river broke its banks. Was that it? Uh, essentially, so so there, there's a, a place known locally as a kind of pump house, um, and and that's where he was. He was able to stay dry uh, for the time being, but as the river was getting getting higher and higher, he became more and more concerned, um, and that's when he started looking for uh, assistance. And thankfully, there was a passerby, and and. County council members who are around that area as well were able to raise the alarm. We'd be talking about a much different story if... Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stay there because Ger Roach is working with Cork County Council and he, he I think it was he actually raised the alarm. Uh, good, good, uh, good afternoon to you, Ger. 
Hi, Patricia. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. You, were you one of the workers that was... Did you spot that's the light? That's right. No, um, I was manning the barrier there on the top of Park Road. The flood had, had um, come as far as the co-op entrance where they're turning to the, the Dairy Gold co-op shop. And I was there with the van, just knocking the road so people wouldn't continue down into the flood. Now people come down looking at the flood and preparing. But the co-op shop was still open and this was around six o'clock and this woman came down and she walked around and I was watching and she walked in towards the co-op and she came back out to me and she said I think I see a lamp down in the river flickering and when she said this and the location kind of the penny dropped with me it could be the man below in the pump house in trouble that didn't realise how bad the flood was coming so I went over with her and at that then we stood and next thing the lamp signal came again and then we knew I knew then that he was in trouble and I rang the colleague workers there and to be fair to the search and rescue like people in Mala must be must have a appreciation for the service they have on their doorstep, the service that's available. Only like they're being so close and the time it happened, that flood was rising fast at six five past six and they had that man out for twenty five past six. Wow. And like they had a big cast coming up that river last night because you had a lot of underground cables there that would have got caught in the boat that they had to manoeuvre through. It was not an easy task, but fair play to the search and rescue. And to this woman, um, um, Joan, is, right. is it Joan? Joan Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. Joan Ryan. Well, yeah, well she's done to Joan. Woman. She's a she was after finishing, she was walking from home, she came out for a walk, she was all lined up and the wet gear on and the two of us were standing inside in the co-op green watching and waiting and the fire services came was we just turned the van down i gave him the flash of lights and i was using the phone that we were aware he was aware of us being that you know we were at the signal with left yeah left god help him thank god he had a torch with god him he's, you know it's a happy ending and you know everyone there's no straight road for anyone there's turns and twists for everyone in the road and i met him after he came down to and i told him and he said to say a very big thank you to joan because he was saying, like, he was listening. He heard the 6 o'clock news on the radio. And he heard the flood was still rising. He was watching it all day. It was on the third step. He came to the second step off from the top. And so that's the last step. And he said he was on his last straw to come out the door and wave the lamp, hoping that someone coming out of the co-op shop would have seen him. If that co-op shop would have shut last night, that gate, he would not have been seen because you would not see him from the road. You needed to be inside in the co-op shop grounds to see him and a big thank you as well to the co-op shop staff they were going locking up and they stayed there and for such time that man was taken away well they people are great yeah. the people are great and you are right yeah. the Mallow Search and Rescue um, Ronan we I think everybody n- not just here in Mallow even further afield everybody appreciates uh, the amazing work that you do and it's important to point out Ronan everybody involved you're all volunteers we are indeed yeah, yeah we're made up of complete volunteers and there's no one paid in our unit and we are a charity so every donation that we get goes straight back into the unit which in turn goes back into the community when it comes to situations like this. And Um, fundraising has been tough as it has for every charity but I mean for an organisation like like yours I mean you wouldn't any of your annual events you weren't able to hold last year? No no so all our obviously with this situation um, all our annual events are were cancelled um, coming up actually hopefully in a couple of months time when things when things get a bit better Martin Milan and, and his uh, gang are 
uh, organising a, um, a climb up Karen Tool. So um, they have a GoFundMe page set up there. There's anyone that wishes to can go and donate. Um, but it's it's those kind of donations and those kind of things that we rely on. Um, so we have been hit pretty hard this year, all right. Yeah, it's been tough. Go- and have you are you been busy? Have you had many call outs? Um, thankfully, not not too busy. But um, we were like we were down in Formoy and things like that as well uh, this year. So um, it's I suppose it's never never too quiet for us. We're always um, we're always trying to stay ready and. You know, whenever we get the opportunity to go do training and stuff like that. So, okay. Well, listen. Well done on uh, yesterday to all of the crew uh, involved, and uh, to Joan for spotting the flashlight, and uh, Jar to you and as well for reacting uh, so quickly. Uh, it's a good news story rather than what could have been a real, real tragedy. Thank you all for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you. Thank Good morning you. to you. Uh, bye bye. That is Ger Roach working with the council and Ronan Looney, who is secretary of the Mallow Search and uh, Rescue. Well done, folks. And to the race course for the listener who was wondering, is the the road outside the race course is it clear? Uh, somebody said I passed there at half eight this morning and it's clear and uh, passable. Thank you for that. that. Oh, oh, that is uh, something has gone off on me uh, here. Hi, Patricia. Um, We all need to email Micheál Martin and tell him that as our representative, we want him to get us the vaccine prompto. Would people on the Titanic have got on any passing ship? Not had one been passing nearby. He needs now to save us. The people of this country get us the vaccines and open up the country. The vaccine is the only way out. We will be in lockdown for eternity without the vaccine. And I'm assuming that's responding to the piece by Dr. Gabriel Scali, who is saying that Micheál Martin needs to ring Boris Johnson and say, we will willingly buy your excess vaccines from you. 1850-333-103. Let's take a break and we are back discussing gardening with uh, Peter Dowdell, the theirishgardener.com. If you have a gardening question, get it into us now, please. You can call John Paul at 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp me here to the studio 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Gardening on C103 with Bandon Co-op Garden Centres in Bandon, Kinsale and Enniskeen. For top quality plants, advice and value, think Bandon Co-op Garden Centres. C103. And uh, Peter Dowd of the IrishGardener.com joining us. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Trish. How are you? I'm, I'm very well after what was a very wet day yesterday. We're wondering what's left of the gardens today. I'm wondering, are you broadcasting from an ark or is the studio still there? Uh, uh, the gardens are a bit shook, aren't they? They are indeed. But listen, uh, the spring is here and things are starting to grow and that's the most important thing. Liz in Kinsale was back on to us wondering, did you get a chance to study the link that she sent on last week about injecting trees with the ChemJet injectors? 
Liz in Kinsale, you did send on that link to me and I looked at that link over the weekend and I said, you know what I said to myself? I said, I must check that now before Wednesday. And you didn't. (laughs) Do you think I did? (laughs) I didn't. So Liz, my apologies because I was interested in looking at it properly and I will do and I'll have my homework done now for next Wednesday without question Okay. uh, because I was was unaware of it before last week but I will look into it and and see what I make of it. And Liz, remind me next week to ask him again about it uh, please. Now Mary rang. Uh, She wants to plant out is it Alstromeras? Yeah, Alstromeria, yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to transfer them from pots into the garden. Will multi-purpose compost be suitable for this job? Be absolutely fine. Yeah. So Alstromerias are a perennial or herbaceous um, Trish, which just means they die back under the ground for the winter. Um, so planting them out at this time of the year from pots into the ground is fine. And any you like, you you don't even really need compost. They probably will do a bit better with compost. Uh, but yeah, any good multi-purpose compost will help. No, a ministry listener was on earlier, and it's not quite a gardening question, but I said I'd ask you. She wants to know if gardeners are allowed to work under level five restrictions. She has shrubs that need cutting back. Landscape contractors come under construction. So whatever no. applies to construction applies to us. So the answer is no mm. at the moment. Um, uh, obviously, as a gardener, you're allowed to work in your own garden. And, you know, I'm 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 paranoid by, and I'm living my life by the letter of the restrictions. I, I won't go outside of my house. But um, that's not to say that there mightn't be somebody who lives within a kilometre of you if he's working on his own in your garden. You know, that's up to yourselves. Yeah, OK, but you, they do fall under construction and we know... Yeah, the, the, the answer to the question is no, no, exactly. No. Yeah. OK, question for Peter, please. And from Bantry has daffodils. I have daffodils growing on a ditch. They're just starting to bud. I've noticed that when they're just ready to bud, there's something eating them. What can I do? It seems to happen every year. Thanking you. Oh, that's an interesting one now because you don't often hear of that. It... When just as the buds are about to open, there's something eating them, and I'm wondering. I'd love to have a, to to get some more information on that because I'm wondering: does she does the caller see something eating them, or is it just that the flower opens up with holes in the petals? If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. I suspect it's the latter. I suspect the flower is opening up, which means the damage has been done in the bulb. So. If you can imagine, uh, Trish, the, the, the bulb is just a kind of a modified leaves and modified stems, uh, you know, sw- swollen ones. Um, so it develops within the bulb, the flower, and as it opens up, it, it just opens up, as, as we all know. But if something has got into that bud in the bulb, in other words, if a little beetle or a slug burrowed a hole through it, it, it then it's going to open up. Like the damage could have been done weeks, if not months beforehand. So... I'd like, I'd like, I'd like, to, I'd need to get more information on that before I can answer it correctly. It's, it's very unlikely to be slugs or snails, um, but there might be something in the soil that's burrowing through the, the bulbs. My best advice, not knowing what's causing it, my best advice would be uh, when they're finished flowering this year, so let's say in kind of April time, maybe May time, lift those bulbs out from where they are, divide them, and maybe replant them in some other part of the garden. I suspect it's probably a soil-borne pest. Of, of sorts that's causing it and hopefully moving them to another part of the garden uh, will fix that. Yeah, the fact that it happened, it's happened on previous previous years as well. Okay, Sheila in Liz Griffin, when is the best time to cut Red Robin Hedge? Uh, coming into March now. So yeah, we're, we're, I would do it now, anytime over the next fortnight. Try and get it done before the start of March. Um, um, we're coming into that time with the, the, the Wildlife Actress the, the, from you know, we're not allowed to cut hedges between March and September. So you'd want to get anything like that done before the kind of first week in March.
Okay, so the same advice for Mike and y'all. He wants to prune Christmas box. Christmas box is starts to cock. No, well, no, it won't really apply unless it is grown as a hedge. But even then, it's, it's not really going to apply because it's a very low growing plant. Um, probably still in flower to give it its correct name Trish it's an awful mouthful it's Sarsicocca Sarsicocca confusa uh, but a beautiful beautiful uh, strongly scented plant which flowers it's, it's, as you, you said it's, it's referred to as Christmas box but it doesn't always flower in this part of the world at Christmas it normally flowers a bit later January, February, March so it may well still be in flower so if it's still in flower I wouldn't prune it now because you're going to sacrifice those lovely scented flowers but as soon as it's finished flowering yes you could prune it then Seems to be all about hedges this week. And I cut back at Grisolinia hedging now, says another listener. Exactly the same answer as the Red Robin. Yeah, I would cut it back, but but cut it back now before the end of February. Someone else says, is it okay to take a slip from a geranium to grow? Is now the right time to do it? It's absolutely okay to do it and they, they will root quite successfully. But no, I'd say you're too early yet to do it. I would think, I mean, you could give it a go and see what happens, but I would think you'd be unsuccessful. Uh, I would wait, we're coming, I would wait till April onwards, April, even May, June, July, that time of the year, they'll root much easier. Bernie in Bohabui planted a hedge seven years ago, a Portuguese laurel. For the past two months, part of it seems to have faded. What advice could you give her, please? Without seeing that one, it's a difficult one to answer, Trish. But Portuguese laurel can be prone to a couple of things. It's prunus lusitanica, so they can they can actually be they're quite prone to a fungal infection, which can lead to just a, a general thinning out of the of the hedge. So it doesn't look like I love the Portuguese laurel. It's a lovely dark green hedge, and depending on the variety, it can kind of have red stems on it as well. Really lovely hedge, uh, and when it's grown well, it makes a lovely thick, dense evergreen hedge. But then when it's not and when it gets these infections, maybe up to 50% of the leaves fall off. it, So it's quite sparse and quite see-through and it doesn't look as well. Um, so it could be something like that. And my advice then, if it is fungal, would be give it its trim now at this time of the year. Cut it back. If practical and if possible, remove all the trimmings and all the dead leaves from around the base of the hedge. Give it a, a feed with something like the Nature Safe granular seaweed, I would say. Um, and then drench the whole hedge and the, the root system with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water which I often recommend as you know Trish it's a, it's a kind of a broad spectrum organic fungicide which will control a wide range of, of fungal fungal infections that could be causing it but then with with the because it's a prunus it is also liable to, to, to getting uh, shot hole which could be a first sign of canker so if you see these shot hole is, is a very descriptive term for what happens to them it, it looks like mini shotgun pellets in the leaves your little holes in the leaves um, and that could be a, that it could be that as well so uh, the best course of action as I say the, in the first instance will be cut it back now feed it with something like the nature safe uh, and then treat it with the copper sulfate and then cross your fingers and hope for the best and in Skibbereen, is there anything else I can put on my lawn instead of lawn gold? I used it and it, I felt it didn't work. The lawn is basically dead, is how Anne describes her lawn. A lot of questions coming in that we, we need a bit more information on today. Um, the, I do find lawn gold a very good one because it, it because it... It, as I often said, Trish, it works in a back-to-basics approach. By, by creating the optimum pH, soil pH, you get good grass growth. And then because it's different times of the year, there's different products in that range for different times of the year. So it gives the right nutrient balance at each season. 
Um, when you say the lawn is dead, it's like, if the lawn is dead, then obviously enough, nothing is going to, to work. It might be a question of starting again. But if it's like, it may need, from the description of it, certainly, presuming it's not dead, but it probably so, it does sound like it needs a lot more work than just sprinkling something on the surface. It may need to be scarified. It may need to be aerated. It may need a lot of work first before you get to the point of putting anything on it. Mary from West Cork. Why are all the bark of my shrubs and fruit trees splitting? I've not seen rabbits or hares eating it. Also, my Japanese lantern died after eight years. I am in a very windy area. Well, the wind wouldn't lead to the bark splitting on the fruit trees. It could it could indeed have led to the, the, the death of the, the Chinese lantern, maybe. But again, I suspect if it's been there for eight years, it's unlikely to suddenly just curl up and die one year. Um, with the bark splitting, it'd be good to see a photograph of that if possible. It'd send it into to either TE, and I'm sure you'll send it on to me, or send it into myself at face, on Facebook, the Irish Gardener page on Facebook, and we'll have a look at it. Um, it could be, and uh, I, I'm hesitating because I don't want to put the fear of gardener, but it could be canker. So uh, bacterial and fungal cankers will affect fruit trees and one of the symptoms is a splitting bark. And you, if it's a, which trees did they? She say they were Trish. Um, it is gone. Apple she doesn't. Plum. Does she say on it? No, she just says Pickle, my shrubs it. and fruit trees. Just fruit trees. Fruit trees. Okay. Yeah. So if it's a if, if it's a bacterial canker, you would expect to see some what's called gomosis, which is where you see this kind of gummy like secretion coming from the the splitting bark, uh, which could be canker, but. It does sound if it's just splitting and if there's if it's not physical rabbit or animal damage, it could be canker, I'm afraid. But before I would put the fear of God in you, I'd like to see a photograph of it. OK, know? if you want to get that on into us or on to Peter. Mary said her clematis flowered. Now, when she says it flowered, one flower and then it fell off the next day. Oh, very disappointing. Oh. <laughs> I, at this time, I, from the sound of it recently. Yeah. Yeah. So if... if it depends which clematis it is. So if it's one that should be flowering at this time of the year, like some of the early ones, like obviously enough early sensation is one, uh, avalanche is another, that would, they're evergreens that would flower at this time of the year. So if it fell off, if we just got one, it's very disappointing just to get one and then to lose it. But it could be, I'm afraid, just that the weather, like if it was, particularly if it was just before that cold spell, the cold could have done it. Um, I would say maybe give it a shot of a good tomato food, like the nature safe tomato food. And that that does help to promote flowers. Uh, I would say give it a shot with that. If it's a spring flowering one that was just one errant flower coming out a bit early, then I wouldn't be too worried. I'd, I'd wait till the spring. When can I cut back a yew tree? It's gone huge. It's years old, says a listener. Well, uh, before I even answer when, I would say be very careful because they can be a bit temperamental and they can be a bit tricky to prune back so if you if you're lucky enough to have a huge old yew tree in the garden i would get a professional to look at it um because i I, in fact was working with neil vaughan who's a tree surgeon based in down in um Lizarda direction uh, and I was working with him pruning back a very mature I think maybe two or three hundred year old yew hedge there over the last few years and he did an excellent job at it but he was he was even being more careful about it than I was if you like (laughs) we were doing one side then the top then the other the whole thing took about 12 months to do it the right bits at the right time and all the rest of it but it's coming on now fine but the reason I say all that is because um 
uh, there is risks with a mature yew tree if by cutting it badly you could damage it. Uh, you're coming into the right time of the year to do it really but but I would get a professional get experts, to look at it. Get it's not something advice. I do myself. Yeah. Onions, says a texter, that never grew <coughs> last year and are well up now. Will they be okay to use this year? Says a listener. Hmm. That's an interesting one because we're getting a lot of queer ones now yeah. today, Trish. A, y- a year on, a year on. I'd, I'd risk it. I would absolutely, yeah. as the fellow says, suck it and see. Leave, leave, yeah. leave, leave them there. Leave well alone. I, I, it's a new one on me again. Uh, it's not something I've encountered before. That they, I suppose the first question would be when did you plant them? But if they were planted, and normally you plant your onions at this time of the year, Trish, any kind of time from December to, to April, um, so if they were planted at this time last year, they didn't come to anything. They're just coming now. It is a very strange one. What not one I've heard of before. But yeah, I would leave them go. If maybe you planted them in the autumn, uh, I wouldn't expect anything to happen to them last year. So it would be totally normal that they're just going this year. But yeah, leave them and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Peter. This is Shane in North Cork. What would you recommend to add to topsoil to enhance it for vegetable growing in raised beds? Okay, well, well, when you're doing, when you're creating raised beds and you're adding uh, topsoil, you you have the the glorious opportunity to create your own soil, if you like, because it's an artificial structure, an artificial raised bed. So I would mix lots of organic matter with it. So well broken down, uh, well rotted uh, farmyard manure, horse manure, chicken manure, any of those, unless, of course, there's a vegan in the family, in which case you wouldn't use any of the animal manures. Um, but you can get the, the Nature Safe granular one, which I was referring to earlier for somebody's hedge. Nature Safe is an Irish brand and it's organic, and it's because it's 100% plant based materials. Uh, you can use that for it's a vegan friendly, it's a vegan product, if you like. So if you follow the food cycle throughout, there's no animal byproducts then used in the, the growth of the food. Uh, but I find that Nature Safe granular plant food an excellent one for what we call base dressing which is what you're looking for now which is a, a, a an application pre-planting so lots of organic matter if you don't want to use animal ones use the uh, the nature safe granular feed and maybe other organic matter like leaf mold or your own homemade compost and i don't know but it could be somebody who's just starting out on gardening because there's so many people since lockdown getting involved in gardening which is terrific and if it is the case shane uh, in north cork good luck to you uh, with it okay that's where we leave it How are you doing how's your online are you doing online q a's this week yeah we're doing on friday again we, we've just started them trish and and I suppose as I expected, they've they've gone very very well. That they're very very busy. Lots of questions coming in every Friday, one o'clock on Facebook on the Irish Gardener page. Yeah, I do a live questions and answers uh, for about half an hour to an hour. So if you do have a question that we didn't get to hear on the radio, send it in to to the Facebook page, the Irish Gardener, between now and Friday, and we'll do our best to get okay. to it. Okay, and we'll talk next Wednesday. Thank you for that, Peter. Look forward to it. Have thanks a good for... week. Bye bye. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Mark. Alone is in for Nick Richards. We're back with you tomorrow at 10 on the Hampshire Semester. Stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.